is Bad Boys and Beyond with your hosts, Mike Payton and Keith Black Trudeau. The game's over and the Pistons have won the world championship. It's Moose Week, Keith. We're talking about Moose. <laughs> Welcome back to Bad Boys and Beyond. I'm your host, Mike Payton. With me, as always, is Keith Black Trudeau. And if you didn't understand what we were doing there, well, then you don't know your moose noises. Like, uh, you're not an outdoorsman, I guess, like Keith and I are. Uh, avid moose uh, chasers or hunters, or if you will. I've never hunted anything in my life. Anyways, we're doing the Greg Monroe show today. Uh, Greg Moose Monroe, if you will. Keith, this is our first uh, 2010s player. We're kind of in into the uh, the newer age. We're 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 talking about a guy who's still in the league. Uh, what are what are what are your thoughts? Well, technically, he's still in the league. He played last season. Yes, technically. Uh, yeah, uh, Greg, Greg Monroe and. Look, for obvious reasons, we don't we haven't delved a whole lot into the 2010s uh, at this point, because as most Piston fans recall, it wasn't a great decade for the Detroit Pistons. It just wasn't. But at the same time, I thought there were some notable players, uh, some notable moments. And I think it's always important uh, as a historian to remember the good with the bad, not not just remember everything how you wish it was remember everything and as far as greg monroe goes uh man what one of my all-time favorite nicknames was he one of the top 10 best players in team history no no he was not but he was still good in his own right had a great nickname and i'm actually pretty excited to uh dig into this uh We'll, we'll call it a lost decade for the first time in, in this podcast. Now, you know, Greg Monroe is something I was, uh, I was eager to talk about, but I really wanted to do the Luigi Dottomi episode and Keith fought me tooth and nail over it. See, he said it would only take five minutes to do that episode. And I, I, I caved and, and here we are talking about Greg Monroe. So I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to getting into that, but first we got a little bit of a banter to do a little uh, on this show because uh, Keith and I are old. Um, if you haven't known that already and we love basketball. And last week for a brief moment, we talked about a basketball movie starring Whoopi Goldberg called Eddie. Uh, it's a movie about uh, Whoopi Goldberg is a big New York Knicks fan and she becomes the head coach of the New York Knicks uh, basically for no reason at all. And the movie is just filled with former NBA stars of the nineties and I, there's a few things that I would like to talk about. First, uh, I went through this movie again. I watched it today for the first time in probably 15 years. And I noticed there is a hefty amount of former Pistons in this movie. There are seven, to be exact. There's Dennis Rodman. There's uh, uh, Malik Seeley, who actually plays a pretty prominent role in the movie. Uh, there's Eldon Campbell. Cedric Sabalas. Yes, that's right. He played for the Pistons. You might not remember it. Uh, Olden Polynes, who uh, who does a also really, former Piston, for, former Piston, does a really interesting uh, uh, thing where he explains what black holes are while shooting a free throw, uh, because Greg Ostertag and Mark Jackson don't know what they are. Uh, I, I'm not now. This one has an asterisk next to it because he only played like summer league. Uh, for the Pistons, Spud Webb is in the movie. Uh, but here's the one I really want to talk about. John Spider Sally, who also plays a, a big role in the movie. He's got these uh, these gigantic knee braces, and they talk about the guy like he's 42 years old, and he's just this old, broken-down piece of meat who's still just, just trying to keep it in the league. So I thought, how old is this guy? i got to go look it up. He's 31 years old, Keith. <laughs> he's 31 years old. And I'm 37. This made me feel like 
I, you know, like I couldn't do anything. If this guy's 31 and that's, and he's the old guy in the NBA, what are we doing here? Uh, yeah, John Sally, um, for whatever reason, he seemed to age very quickly. Yeah. Uh, he, he was, he was drafted a four-year college player, just like everybody else in his generation. I think he was just 22 as, as a rookie, but it seemed that, you know, once, once his run with the bad boys over, which was only, what five or six years uh 1992 comes around he's only 27 uh 28 years old he's traded to miami uh for a draft pick and it's like the only time we ever heard from him uh for the rest of his career was when he was a backup for phil jackson on the on the bulls or later on the lakers and it's like you're right he, he kind of looks like he's 40 years old you know is and, and he's barely 30 that it, it is really odd for whatever reason yeah. Uh, you know, and then just a little some continuity things that in NBA they, like movies, you know, they don't they never consider like anything that's realistic when they make these movies. Like so Whoopi Goldberg's character is just a big New York Knicks fan, and they do it this thing called honorary coach if she makes a free throw. And the fans love her so much that the team owner, the new team owner, who's like a cowboy guy, decides, well, I'm just gonna make her the full-time coach and the, the actual coach quits and then somehow goes and becomes the head coach of the Charlotte Hornets, which is weird. It, like did the Charlotte Hornets guy get fired too, or did he quit as well? How does that happen? You don't just go be a head coach for another team after, after walking from one team and, and what, and what NBA franchise would allow some fan to come down to the court and be an honorary coach. Uh, believe it or not, that actually happened to Larry Brown once. Larry Brown was an honorary coach. No, no, no. Oh. <laughs> well, I think he actually kind of is now with with the, uh, or at least was with the uh, SMU. But no, Larry Brown was actually fired uh, mid season. Well, it was kind of a mutual thing because he wanted out of of San Antonio, and then he joined up with the Clippers. You know, the the same season. Yeah. <laughs> And it led led them uh, to the play. They were so good immediately. They made the playoffs with him. That's just how good of a coach he was. But they, that that kind of reminds me of, of that situation where you actually did have a a, a guy head, being the head coach of two different teams in the same season. And then the very last thing I want to talk about, I went through this team's starting lineup. This is not a good basketball team. Uh Okay. Well, all right. Maybe, maybe you'll, maybe you'll tell me I'm wrong. Okay. The, the, the backcourt is Mark Jackson and Malik Seeley. Now, what year is this? 96, right? This, or is, this is 96. So Mark is okay. with the Pacers or he might be back in New York at this time. I'm not sure. Well, it, it, at 96, it was weird for Mark Jackson because they, no, I think he was still on the Pacers for all of 96. I, I think I, 97 I was the year they traded him. So no, he's still with the Pacers in '96. Seeley and Malik Seeley, yep, yep, he was still in his prime, still a good player, <laughs> just two years shy of being a Piston. And then you've got so so they got Rick Fox is okay. your is your small forward. Your power forward isn't even a real basketball player; it's just a tall guy who is an actor. Uh, so right there, you got a big hole in your lineup, <laughs> and your center is uh, Dwayne Shinsis. That sounds Ooh. like a that sounds like a fifteen win team to me. I'm not sure that Dwayne Shinchus was even in the league in 1997 or 1996, rather. Eh, he might have been. He kind of bounced around. I'm uh, at, uh, I mean, sir. Yes, he was, he was. He was serviceable for the fact that he was an enormous human being with a little bit. He had a little more skill than it looked, at least when it came to putting the ball in the basket. <laughs> Which is probably a subtle shot at him in the movie. He played. But, uh, no, he 30, wasn't. I can't say he was games. terrible. Played thirty-three games for the Pacers that year. Yeah, see, he was a third-string center behind Rick Smiths and whoever they had backing up Rick Smiths. I, I mean, that's respect. Look, it makes him an NBA player. Okay. Yeah. No, absolutely. Uh, I had no idea that he had passed. Uh, all respect to Dwayne Jensen's man, uh, but. Yeah, so that, those that's all I wanted to talk about for for Eddie. I just thought there were some some funny things there, and uh, also the Cleveland Cavaliers jerseys from 1996 are in that movie. 
Actually, I believe did weren't Malik Seeley and Mark Jackson teammates on the Clippers? Uh in '96. No, no, they were not. No, no, no. I meant early in on in his career, but no. Oh no, with, no, I don't think so. No. He was with the Pacers when when Mark Jackson was with the Clippers. Okay. That Clippers thing didn't last too long for Mark Jackson, if I remember correctly. He wasn't there very long, was he? Uh, it was like a half well, a season or something, wasn't it? You talking about Mark Jackson? Yeah. Yeah, the uh it, it was kind of weird. They had so much success with Larry Brown early on in 92. They were arguably the best defensive team in the whole league, but they didn't have any any guards, any outside shooting, nothing like that. So to try to round it out, they trade Charles Smith to the Knicks for Mark Jackson, which made them a little better offensively, but defensively they just plummeted and they still made the playoffs the next year, but they weren't quite as good. And then, yeah, you're right. Mark Mark Jackson couldn't wait to find the exit, and the Pacers were more than willing to take him in. All right. Well, that's all we got for Eddie today. Believe me, I would love to talk even more about it. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, I think we'd lose half of our audience if we if I kept going. So uh, let's... Let's jump into Mr. Greg Monroe. Let's go all the way back to Louisiana. Tell me about Greg Monroe, the prospect. Yeah, Greg Monroe, uh, just a classical low post center, uh, great footwork, could finish around the rim, left-hand dominant very much, but he could still shoot that right hook with his right hand, could finish uh, around the rim, lay it in with his right hand. So he wasn't just exclusive if you shaded him too much to his left he could still spin right on you uh yep grew up in harvard louisiana all american first team uh they had them the eighth uh rated prospect in his uh class of 2008 very very highly rated prospect was part of that uh big center pipeline that georgetown had going back to the days of patrick ewing and alonzo morning and dikemi mutombo and in this case, he followed uh, Roy Hibbert. At, just as Hibbert was leaving Georgetown, uh, Greg Monroe came in to be that next great center for them. And his time at Georgetown was only a couple of years. Uh, good years for Greg Monroe, not so much for Georgetown. They actually never won a, a postseason game uh, with Greg Monroe on their team. The, his first year, he was an all-conference all uh, freshman. Well, he was all freshman in his conference. Uh, they make the NIT. They lose to West Virginia in the first round. They have a much better season uh, the next year. Georgetown, I think, makes a three seed in the NCAA tournament. They have a pretty good season. And once again, in the first round, they lose to – they get blown out, really, uh, by the Ohio Bobcats as a 3-14 uh, upset. They were down double figures, I think, almost immediately. I remember that game. And from that point on, I think it was just time for Greg Monroe to leave. And it it's kind of weird saying that after two seasons, but it was just Georgetown really wasn't going anywhere, and Greg Monroe's NBA uh, draft stock wasn't going to get any higher. So at that point, it was just time to go. Now, and, we were... oh, go Okay, ahead. go ahead. No, no, you go. You keep going. So we we come to the 2010 NBA draft, and this is the point where the Detroit Pistons, after their great run uh, with the going to work crew in the 2000s, all of those conference finals appearances, they make this run of I think eight straight years making the playoffs, and. 2009 2010 is the first year where they miss they they miss by a lot they're they're a bad team and they draw the sec the seventh pick in the lottery and joe dumars also a louisiana guy you might think that greg monroe would be his first choice because if you look at that draft class seventh is actually not too much of an over uh overdraft for a guy like greg monroe that can come in and give you double-figure points, double-figure rebounds. But actually, as most Pistons fans would recall, he wanted uh, DeMarcus Cousins out of Kentucky. And the only problem was, which was a problem for the Pistons really the entire decade, 
they didn't have a high enough draft pick to go and get him. So Joe Dumars uh, reportedly offered uh, Tayshawn Prince to Sacramento to move up uh, in, in draft cousins. And for whatever, I don't know who backed out on that deal, but it just obviously it never came to fruition. And Sacramento took DeMarcus Cousins with the fifth pick. And Joe Dumars was left with his second choice on the board, which was Greg Monroe. Well, I was, uh, you know, I looked up a, uh, well, first, I just wanted to quick uh, go back into the Georgetown thing a little bit, because you and I talked off the air uh, about how Greg Monroe might be one of the last Big East, you know, uh, good players. I mean, the, for when we were coming up, uh, the Big East was like the, it was the conference. It yeah. was, you know, Alonzo Mourning, Patrick Ewing, Allen Iverson, uh, you name it. Jerome Junkyard William, Jerome Junkyard Dog Williams. There we go. Uh, and then you know there were there were plenty of guys coming out of uh, Georgetown, and now it's 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 really fallen off the map. Um, is Monroe kind of that last good guy? Uh, he's definitely the the bookend, the very last great Georgetown center, which is kind of sad. Not not that it's Greg Monroe, but that we haven't had anyone since he left in 2010. Re- really, the Georgetown program in general, I, I think a lot of people are nostalgic about it, especially people in their 30s, 40s, 50s, like us, that remember the, the John Thompson days where they were this big, intimidating... A uh, team with these seven foot future Hall of Famers uh, year after year almost. And even when they didn't, they had a guy like Allen Iverson who was different in his own right. And I, I think college basketball, uh, on a side note, I think college basketball very much misses uh, Georgetown uh, being relevant because they. Greg Monroe wasn't the final uh, first round pick from uh, or at least the most recent George, uh, first round pick from Georgetown but he's the second most. Otto Porter in 2013 is actually the most recent pick uh draft pick out of the University of Georgetown. It's been 9 years. 9 years since we've had a draft pick uh that was a Hoya and that that just blows my mind. That is insane. I think college basketball is kind of missing that that eastern uh team altogether. I mean it's the teams that are always hot right now are down south, you know, Kentucky, Duke, uh, Kansas. You know, I guess maybe it's Kansas down south. I don't know. Uh, you know, Villanova is kind of like that only that only good Eastern team that's left um, that I can really think of off the top of my head. But uh, it would be nice to kind of level the playing field for the for the entire country again. But I don't know. Yeah. If. Uh, on a side note, if anyone wants uh, to hear more about this, there's a great 30 for 30 called Requiem for the uh, Big East. Absolutely. It talks about everything that we just noted and, and then some about how the, the greatest uh, conference in college basketball uh, came in like a whirlwind in the uh, late 70s, early 80s. And then, you know, because of various factors, just quickly died out and was dismantled. And all of those great Northeast schools have kind of never been heard from again. Uh, and then the other thing was, you know, uh, since since Monroe's a, a newer age player, uh, it would we got we got a chance to see like a mock draft to see where, you know, uh, uh, sports writers at the time thought that Monroe was going to fall, and it's it exactly what you were talking about earlier. Uh, they thought they thought that uh, the Sacramento Kings were going to take them at, him at five, and the Pistons would get Demarcus Cousins. Now, if this is something that actually would have happened. Uh, I feel like the Pistons would have been much worse off. You know, like Boogie had some really good seasons, but he's been uh, he's been a nightmare his his entire career. Uh, I I don't I mean uh, you can make an argument that Sacramento is like not the place that any player wants to be, especially uh, you know somebody who is eccentric like like Boogie is. Uh, and and you kind of saw that with Marvin Bagley this past year when the Pistons got him. There was like a, he was a completely different player immediately. Uh, so do do you think that if if the Pistons would have wound up with Cousins, it, things would have went worse, or is that just maybe a, a Kings thing? Uh, it may be a little bit of both. It's it, it's not as if Demarcus Cousins has really worked out anywhere else. It uh, 
Look, first of all, let's make this clear. DeMarcus Cousins is a far more talented player than Greg Monroe, just in oh, terms of the things sure. he could do on the court. I compared Bob Lanier and who I consider the greatest center of Pistons history. I compare Bob Lanier's skill set to DeMarcus Cousins. That's how highly I think of DeMarcus Cousins. But it, like you said, it was always the intangible stuff, the the, the off the court stuff, the the temperament, the inability to to control his own uh, temperament. For as good and as productive as DeMarcus Cousins was, he was very inefficient, uh, constantly turned the ball over, not very good defensively. And, and he, despite all of those, he, these big numbers that he was putting up, the, the Kings still couldn't win games any more than the Pistons could. And in fact, and I, Greg Monroe, I think, always had a chip on his shoulder going up against Cousins. Because as long as uh, Greg Monroe was in Detroit and DeMarcus Cousins was in Sacramento, they played each other nine times. Uh, Greg Monroe won eight of them. And often those in those games, DeMarcus Cousins would have a better stat line, but Monroe would be more efficient and the, the Pistons would just win by default because the Kings were worse. Yeah, I mean, that's the Kings are always going to lose in these situations, I would think. Uh, well, maybe they got it right though this year. We'll we'll see where that goes. Uh, but all right, Greg Monroe is a piston now, and yep. uh, right off the bat, he plays eighty games. He starts about half the season his rookie year. What's what is the initial thought process on on Greg Monroe as a now that he's in a Pistons uniform? Well, well, this is Greg Monroe. Poor Greg Monroe. This is his introduction to the the new Pistons culture. He most likely would grew up watching that that best five alive. Uh, in his grade school days and had a, I'm guessing he had a pretty favorable impression of the Pistons franchise and he comes in and this is the, the 2010, 2011 season. This is the year where Rip Hamilton and John Custer had their little uh, mutiny where Rip, Rip Hamilton just refuses to come to practice and takes half the team with him. And it was one of the ugliest incidents in the history of the franchise and Greg Monroe, he sits behind Ben Wallace's back, uh, and Ben Wallace is the starting center. So Greg Monroe sits behind uh, on the bench. He, he's patient. And about halfway through the season, Ben Wallace gets hurt. Greg Monroe steps in, uh, averages uh, 12 points, nine rebounds as a starter, shoots over 50% from the floor. And that last half season of work that he put in was good enough to sneak him on the uh, all-rookie second team. So despite this really ugly uh, incident, and both Rip Hamilton and, and John Kuster, the head coach, they, they were both gone after that season. And so they, they, they bring in Lawrence Frank. And Lawrence Frank, I don't, I don't know if he's any better a coach than John Kuster was. He's certainly more accomplished. But at least in Detroit, it, it seemed more of the same. And, and this is every 2010s player that we talk about, we're, we're probably going to sound like a broken record because it's a lot of these 2010s years with the Pistons were just bad, no matter, you know, how many deck chairs they shoveled around on the Titanic, the, the ship was still going down. So, but this was actually uh, Greg Monroe's first season as a full-time starter. He starts every game. His numbers jump up immediately, uh, just under 18 points, 11 rebounds. Uh, two and a half assist, two and a half assists, shoots over fifty percent from the floor. Arguably his most efficient year uh, of his career. Really, uh, he has uh, he he barely misses a twenty twenty game uh, in in Charlotte. Has nineteen points, twenty rebounds. Has he, he lights up Demarcus Cousins uh, in their first matchup as starters. Uh, Thirty two points, eleven rebounds, shoots fifteen for twenty from the floor, and you're thinking, look, this team is still bad. Uh, they're probably not going to do anything anytime soon. But you know, we we have at least one piece of the foundation. You know, we have we have Greg Greg Monroe clearly can play. Like it's blatantly obvious. We at least we we took a real a pretty good NBA player with our with our last uh, lottery pick. So. 2012-2013 comes around. That's Greg Monroe's third year. They're working in Brandon Knight as the full-time starting point guard, which 
if everyone remembers Brandon Knight, not really a point guard, more a guy that can dribble the ball up for you and find someone else to initiate the offense. Good player, Brandon Knight. Uh, no disrespect to him, just not point guard was not a, a skill, very much like Lindsey Hunter, not really a point guard. I, I think people remember Brandon Knight for two reasons. The uh, All-Star Weekend um, Rising Stars game where he and Kyrie had that uh, crossover off where Kyrie clearly won, uh, and and Brandon Knight getting absolutely demolished by DeAndre Jordan in one of the sickest, just nastiest dunks that I have ever seen yeah. in my entire life. Uh, other than that, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head without looking it up anything else that Brandon Knight did. In the end. And God love Brandon Knight because I, I really wish I could do an episode on Brandon Knight. I, I do. Because as far as uh, hustle guys go, I, he, he would be up in there in my top 10, 15 of all time Pistons. He really would. Because he played hard every single night. He hustled after every loose ball. He never took a playoff. He just wasn't talented enough. for Like a guy like Kyrie Irving, who takes every other playoff. But it doesn't matter because he's capable of crossing over three defenders on one play and creating something. Uh, Knight just didn't have that, that innate skill set that allowed him to be a full-time point guard, starting point guard in the league. But his loss in this case was Greg Monroe's gain because the offense for the first time started being facilitated through him where he just wasn't the leading scorer. He was now the playmaker. So his, his, once again, he averages about 17 points, 10 rebounds, but his his assists skyrocket. He's averaging almost four assists per game. And this is the year he has his only triple-double. Uh, any guesses as to who he was playing against? Uh, wasn't it uh, – it was Toronto, wasn't it? Or was it uh, DeMarcus Cousins? It was DeMarcus Cousins. Okay, I thought it was Toronto. Uh, 21 points, 12 rebounds, 11 assists at Sacramento. The only game, the their only matchup that Cousins actually won, by the way. Uh, he also has a career high thirty five points against Toronto. Uh, he has thirty five and ten that game. Uh, Pistons lost that one too, but not really his fault. They're still a bad team, and I want to say maybe the second most significant thing that happens to Greg Monroe's career is the Pistons draft another big man this season, and that is Andre Drummond. And Andre Drummond, the, the current coach, Lawrence Frank, not a huge fan of Andre Drummond, not a great practice player, wasn't really a fan of his lack of concentration. But, but the problem was every time he got into a game, he was extremely productive. But for the time being, he was coming off the bench behind Greg Monroe uh, for most of the entire season. But you could see once they got on the court together, they had a nice high-low uh, combination going to where Greg Monroe could catch the ball on the elbow and then he would throw a short little lob pass to Andre underneath and Andre would usually dunk it or lay it in. But to, it, it, go ahead. Not not to step on a, a segment that we're going to do later, but this should have worked, right? This this should have been, like in, if this yeah. were the late 90s, this would have worked. Like it would have well, been a prominent duo in the, in the NBA. I, I will say... And again, we're definitely going to talk about this later, but I, I think if if Greg Monroe was a little bit more versatile, uh, more of a threat from the elbow, I think it definitely would have worked. And I think it would have worked anyway if the Pistons had more talent around them. But the, the problem was you, it, it's perfectly fine to have your power forward passing uh, down low to your center. Uh, the, the Kings did that with uh, Vlade and uh, Chris Weber, and it worked beautifully. They were the best offensive team in the league but that's also because they had you know Peja Stoyakovich and Mike Bibby on the perimeter you couldn't crowd them so you know the, the Pistons would have uh Ben Gordon and uh and this is not the Ben Gordon of Chicago this is one foot out the door Ben Gordon mm -hmm. and and Brandon Knight on the perimeter and it was just not the same thing but when it worked I for people that haven't seen the combination I, I'm eventually going to make a video of that when it worked, it was it was beautiful to watch because it was simple fundamental basketball and it, it and it worked really really well. It was fun to watch. So we we go into Greg Monroe's fourth season, which is the the end of his rookie contract. And once again, the Pistons are in flux. Uh, Lawrence Frank, not a fan of Andre Drummond, so 
Joe Dumar is not really a fan of Lawrence Frank anymore. He lets him go, hires Maurice Cheeks, and makes a couple of significant deals, unfortunately. Uh, trading uh, Brandon Knight for Brandon Jennings, which that wasn't the worst deal. Uh, but comboing that with signing Josh Smith to a four-year, $64 million contract – the the pain on Mike's face as I'm yeah. as I'm talking about this is palpable. You're just reminding uh, me of all these things that I, I say. Yeah, I, this no. is why I didn't want to do 2010s players because I didn't want. But to we're we're pain. going to because <laughs> I think it's worth talking about. Yeah. So, it, it, and here's the thing: by extension, Greg Monroe, who's by far the Pistons' most efficient offensive player. Uh, with, now with Josh Smith and Brandon Jennings on the floor, his his touches go down. His his minutes stay the same, but he's not as involved in the offense. He has his lowest usage as a Piston other than his rookie season. Uh, scoring goes down to just 15 points. Uh, rebounds go down to nine. It, it was just not a very good situation. And it, it was a whole lot of parts that didn't fit. You had Andre, who was still really learning how to play. Uh, Greg Monroe, who knew how to play but wasn't getting the ball. Uh, Josh Smith, who was not good and didn't know how to play. And <laughs> he was none of these things, and he was dominating the ball. And then you had Brandon Jennings, who was trying to to prove himself after getting a big contract. And he was the lead, supposed to be the lead point guard, and he, he was having trouble getting touches. So, But the Pistons were bad. They just weren't extremely bad like they were the next season. So... Mo Cheeks, uh, for whatever reason, with the Pistons actually, I think they were ninth in the East at that point, uh, midseason. They were bad, but they were still within range of an, of uh, making the playoffs. Uh, new Pistons owner Tom Gore, is, he decides he's seen enough. He not only has Joe Dumars fire Maurice Cheeks, but he essentially lays the groundwork to get rid of Joe Dumars, take away his his GM power, his 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 title and kind of pushes him out. And from that point on, this is really the biggest moment of Greg Monroe's career, because if you thought Joe Dumars was a big fan of Andre Drummond, wait till you meet Stan Van Gundy. And Stan Van Gundy is the replacement for both Maurice Cheeks and Joe Dumars. Uh, Tom Gores hires him to be the, both the head coach and the general manager. So now he has all the power. He can build exactly the team he wants. He can coach it however he wants. Uh, it w- a lot of us basketball fans refer to it as, as the czar role, uh, where one guy has just power over everything. And, of course, Dan Van Gundy, he comes from that Orlando team that made the finals in 09 with Dwight Howard, surrounded by a bunch of three-point shooters and, and pick-and-roll guards. And you could kind of tell – that Andre Drummond at the time looked like he could potentially be the next Dwight Howard. And his Stan Van Gundy's first negotiation with Greg Monroe, because again, his contract's over, or his rookie contract is over. So all that's left is to negotiate another contract or for Greg Monroe to take the what's called a qualifying offer, which is the offer that's automatically extended at the end of every rookie's four-year contract where if they don't see a deal they like, they can take that money and then be an unrestricted free agent after the fifth season. And no one, almost no first round pick has ever accepted this offer. Greg Monroe would become the first. And it's very interesting because Stan Van Gundy, without ever having coached Greg Monroe, already has laid the groundwork for Greg Monroe to, to leave the Pistons. He is very much not a fan. He understands that Monroe was talented, but he's, he doesn't think, or at least he didn't believe, it seems obvious to me, that Greg Monroe and Andre Drummond could work as a tandem. And if he's evaluating them both at centers, clearly he's picked Andre Drummond at this point. So Stan Van Gunny comes in. Uh, this is the worst start one of the worst starts in Pistons history. The team starts five and 23. It is just bad. He's trying to move Josh Smith. He has been trying to move him for months at this point. No, but there's no takers. It's just obvious that Smith, for whatever reason, has just lost it. 
And at five and twenty-three, and he, and here's the worst part about it: uh, Greg Monroe's coming off the bench at this point because th- that was his solution to fixing the team after about twenty games. Was you know we need more three-point shooting. Greg Monroe is clogging up the floor, so let's start Kyle Singler and bring Greg Monroe off the bench. And Monroe actually played pretty well, but the team was still awful. It, it really wasn't his fault uh, for any of this. So once uh, Stan McGunney finally decides, uh, he admits defeat, he waves uh, Josh Smith, and the team immediately gels. Uh, without Josh Smith on the floor, with Brandon Jennings running the show, Greg Monroe's back in the lineup with Andre Drummond. And despite not having a, a ton of talent, uh, the Pistons immediately uh, just start winning games like crazy. They, they do a uh, seven-game winning streak uh, beginning the day after Christmas, which is their first game without Josh Smith. And Greg Monroe was a starter. Uh, he, he's old Greg Monroe again, averaging 17 points, almost 12 rebounds, two and a half assists. He's back shooting over 50% from the field. It's it's really almost half the season he starts. So you could see that there, there might have been something there. But Stan Van Gundy, just a little bit too set in his ways. I don't think he ever really believed that a two-big, uh, a, a two-center lineup could work in the NBA in, in the mid, uh, in 2015. And to, to an extent, he was right. Uh, but also, to an extent, I, I think he was wrong for not at least giving it a shot. So after the season's over, he releases Greg Monroe, does, uh, wouldn't, wouldn't even keep his bird rights. He wanted that extra cap room to to go after uh, Reggie Bullock and Marcus Morris. And that's really the end of Greg Monroe's time in Detroit. He signs... Uh, almost a, well, I, I think he was a free agent for a little while, but the Milwaukee Bucks finally give him the sort of deal where he's looking for. It's a three-year, fifty-one million dollar deal. I think uh, Greg Monroe made a horrible mistake when he took that that uh, that offer at the end of his uh, rookie deal, and and here's why: uh, just looking at um, the free agent classes from 2014 to 2015, and and I'm using this. Uh, uh, SB Nation ranking, you know, props to the uh, the people who pay me, props to SB Nation. Uh, and and I'm just looking here. So, um, in 2014, they ranked every single free agent, and they had Greg Monroe ranked as the eighth uh, highest free agent. So, so he would have commanded, you know, some good money. He would have got paid somewhere. Probably would have had a a better team situation to go to. In 2015, he's all the way down to 16 in a year where, uh, you know, guys like Jimmy Butler, Draymond Green, Kevin Love, LaMarcus Aldridge, Mark Gasol, Kawhi Leonard, and LeBron James are all free agents. Like, he just he just got buried, absolutely buried. The year before, it was Tim Duncan, Dirk, Dwayne Wade. Uh, for some reason, Eric Bledsoe was the fourth highest. They, uh, Carmelo Anthony, Chris Bosh, and, and LeBron. That's when he was doing those one-year things. But a lot of those guys were expected to just stay where they, you know, where they already were, especially Dirk and LeBron and, and Duncan, like Monroe could have been one of the top free agents of that, of that year. It wouldn't have been the most exciting free agency, but he would have probably arguably made much more money and probably would have had a much better team situation. I don't know why anybody would take that qualifying offer. Uh, but yeah, that's just, I think he made a really bad decision there. Well, the thing is, we don't really, at least I don't, uh, I have no idea what Detroit was actually offering him. Because, again, this is Stan Van Gundy is now the one in charge. And clearly he did, Greg Monroe did not fit his his archetype for what he wanted out of a big man. So I do wonder what was really offered at all. I, I'm I'm fairly certain he offered Greg Monroe something. I'm just not sure what that number was. And it is the reason it's so rare for players fresh off of a rookie contract to accept that qualifying offer is because if you're good enough, you know teams will pay you to stay, and if you're not good enough, they won't give you the qualifying offer. They 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 will just let you go. So it's really odd that he accepted it because you are 
giving up money almost definitely because the qualifying offer is never what your worth is. It's just the next phase in your rookie con. It's just adding another year onto your rookie contract. And generally players entering their fifth season are much better than that number. So I, I, I do look, I, I agree with you on one point that Greg Monroe financially probably would have been a little better off staying in Detroit, but I, I would like to know what was offered, like what the number he turned down was to, to hit unrestricted free agency in that, after that fifth season, because yeah. you're right. It was, it was, it was just not a good market for him, especially. And I think that this really hurt uh, his value. The, the fact that the team that drafted him seventh overall just didn't even negotiate, just let him go. Stan Van Gundy really didn't uh, even try try to bring him back i i think through i think he commented that it was something that sure we'd love to have greg monroe back but he's gonna have to be committed to being andre's backup or something like that which was just a nice way of saying we don't want him back well he obviously didn't come back as we know he's a milwaukee buck now uh and he's in this he's on this team with uh, this greek kid that you know nobody Nobody knows anything about, uh, and this Chris Middleton guy who just got traded from the Pistons last year, and then there's a slew of guys like former Rookie of the Year Michael Carter Williams. Uh, I don't even know where he plays now. Uh, Jabari Parker, who I thought was going to be really good, didn't wind up being really good. Uh, and OJ Mayo, who is I, yeah, OJ Mayo, Kenyon Martin at the end of his career, Ersan Ilyasova. Um, it's a really interesting team. John Henson, uh, he he's kind of he's kind of there at the very beginning of what we now know as the Bucks. How much of a role do you think he played in that? Uh, not very much. Uh, and and here's the thing: the, the Milwaukee Bucks had virus remorse almost immediately with with Greg Monroe. I I remember a lot of the the people in Milwaukee were were kind of starting to turn on him very quickly because here's here's the thing. The team that drafts you is more likely to look at the things that you can do. Those, those fans, anyway, they're more likely to look at the things that you do well, rather than harp on the things you can't do. As soon as you become that big free agent, you're making all the money. All of a sudden, people are more likely to look at, well, if you're making that much, you're the highest paid player in the team. Why aren't you doing this, this, and this for us? How come you you can only do this? And th this is where Greg Monroe's deficiencies. And I'm going to talk about them in a second. This is where they start to show because Greg Monroe, uh, while being an excellent low post player, had plenty of moves, great up and under fakes, great footwork. As I said before, could finish around the rim with either hand. Problem was he couldn't elevate very well. Uh, they called him Moose for a reason. Could not get off, up, off the floor, which was fine to an extent because when you're that crafty, you don't need a whole lot of moves. Like, look at Zach Randolph. You don't need that, that vertical explosion. But as the NBA started shifting to more of a, a five-out, more of a perimeter-oriented game, the inability to shoot, it's not just that he couldn't shoot threes. It's that he couldn't shoot mid-range. Uh, his his mid-range jumper, once you left the paint, very hot and cold, uh, very streaky almost like a three-point shooter uh where he would have games where he'd hit a few in a row and then he'd have games where he would miss the rim entirely on wide open elbow elbow shots and he greg monroe was typical greg monroe for milwaukee he averages close to his career efficiency that he did in detroit it just wasn't good enough to make them happy and he does have one shining moment which i believe is probably the most significant moment in his career or the Milwaukee or the uh, Golden State Warriors, they had the greatest start in NBA history that season. They were 24-0. 24-0. That is, that is crazy. And they come to Milwaukee, and they just get the Bucks drill them. And Greg Monroe was the best player in the court, which I, I think I, I find that kind of funny, especially today when people talk about how great Draymond Green could guard Shaq or guard uh, – Alonzo Mourning or, or David Robbins or like, like he could guard the supersized low post bigs of the 90s. All right. Draymond Green couldn't guard Greg Monroe in this game. No. Uh, Greg Monroe goes for 24 points, 11 rebounds, five assists. He plays Andrew Bogut off the floor. They try Draymond Green on him and he's just too big and too skilled for Draymond Green. 
and the the Bucks pull off one of the the bigger upsets you'll see because the Bucks are not a good team, and they 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 took on a, a Warriors team that was twenty four and zero, and they spanked them. And that was probably the high point of Greg Monroe's entire career because later on that season, Jason Kidd, who was the head coach at the time, he kind of, and this is the other problem with Greg Monroe, is just the inability to, to play defense. As good as his feet were, uh, he wasn't fast enough laterally. The explosion hurt him uh, defending the rim. He, he had quick hands. He could occasionally poke the ball away. Uh, his steals were always pretty good, but for the, for the most part, if you – if you had him isolated at any point, whether it be the three-point line or, or in the paint, he was probably in trouble. So at towards the end of that season, uh, Greg Monroe, who was the, the big prize free agent for the Milwaukee Bucks, he is, he is relegated to being a six-man behind uh, Miles Plumley, who takes over the starting center spot. Mm. I mean, Moose was still playing 30 minutes a game, don't get me wrong, but it was that was how frustrated uh, Jason Kidd was with with his defense. He he wanted Miles Plumley to start games and and a lot of times finish games because that's he was so much better than Greg Monroe defensively, which was that just blows my mind. It's sad because he's only twenty five years old at this time. Like, yep, he's still a very very young player in the you know deep into an NBA career, but like could still, you know, there's still so much left on the, on the bone there. It's just, it's uh it's sad. Um, and then 2017, he doesn't start a single game, plays 81 games right. for the bucks, plays his first playoff games that year. John Henson of all people is their starting center that season. Yeah. And then in 2018, <laughs> it, it just, it goes completely off the rails for Greg. Yeah. Um, uh, Gets traded away from the Bucks for uh, for for Eric Bledsoe, who we mentioned well, earlier. The the Bucks, to be clear, this was a salary dump. The Bucks actually yeah. threw in a first round pick and to get Phoenix to take him. Okay. Then, uh, then they he gets waived uh, after yeah. not, you know only only uh, what was it uh, twenty games? About, yeah, about signs. twenty games. Yep. Yeah. yeah, and then he signs with the Celtics to uh, end the season. Um, and, and it's just, it's, you know, he's, he's, he's out there, he's doing things. He's, he's scoring like 10 points a game, 11 points mm -hmm. a game. He's grabbing rebounds. It's really weird that, that the NBA, you know, I saw you were talking with somebody on Twitter earlier today how the NBA just kind of forgot about Greg Monroe. And here's the guy who's actually producing. He's 26 years old. Why is it not working out? Yeah, if you look at his his statistics and how consistently they good they were right away, like and how quickly they started whittling away after his sixth or seventh season, you you would assume that oh he must have joined the NBA at, at twenty five or something like he must have been a really old rookie because he declined so fast, but that that's the opposite. He he came to the NBA at twenty years old. He was actually one of the younger rookies. And just to see his statistical decline where he's averaging five points in the playoffs at, at 27, which is where most big men start hitting their prime, he is now being slowly pushed out of the league. And 2018-2019 is kind of like the swan song for his his steady time in the league where he, he signs a one-year deal with the Raptors. And the Raptors give up on him very quickly. They actually give the Sixers a second round pick just to take him. And he's only on a one-year deal. And the, the, the irony is he comes back and he's on that Sixers team that with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. And uh, I think that, that was the year they really went for it. So they had Tobias Harris on that team. Uh, they had Jimmy Butler. That was the, They were stacked. And they go to Toronto, which is the team that 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 dumped him in the playoffs. And he actually has this really interesting stretch where he comes in, uh, spells Joel Embiid in game two, and scores 10 points in 10 minutes. <laughs> Just a guy that hasn't really seen the floor in a year and a half, uh, at least consistently. Comes in, he, he, he scores like 10 points almost in a row, I think. I think it was almost in one quarter. And... 
turns the game around and the Sixers win that game. They beat the, the Raptors in game two to tie the series. And it was almost funny listening to the commentary because they're, they're like, well, this is who Greg Monroe is. Why is, you know, he'll, he'll do this to you if you give him minutes. But the thing is, even the Sixers really didn't believe in him because he didn't really play in the series after that. And then they lost the series uh, on that, that Kawhi Leonard buzzer beater. Oh man. What a shame. Yeah. But yeah, he has, tw- he has 10 points and five rebounds in just 11 minutes in that game too. Like that, that was just a snapshot of the, the, the production he can give you if you can just keep him on the floor. But I think more than the three point shooting, more than the lack of mid range shooting, I think it was just the fact that he couldn't defend in space at all. And he couldn't defend the rim to make up for it. I, it was just the defensive end of the floor. I think is what chased him out of the league. Not, not the lack of the three point shooting, which people obsess over too much anyway. And so, that was really, go ahead. Well, in between the, that Raptors and Sixers time, he had another 10 day, contract with the Celtics uh, and apparently he was traded to the Brooklyn Nets at one point in time too. Uh, the Raptors actually traded him to the Brooklyn Nets who then immediately oh, right, right, right. him. Then yeah. he went to the Celtics for 10 days. Then he went to the 76ers yep. uh, as you mentioned. Um, and then he's out of the NBA completely and he's in Europe uh, for two years essentially. Uh, yeah, he, 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 yeah. Moose goes to Moose goes to Germany. That sounds like a movie title I'd want to see. Yeah, uh, I'd watch that. So he, he goes to Germany during the COVID uh, season. That get obviously doesn't last. Uh, next season, 2021, he's in Russia. And last season, 21-22, uh, this, this most recent season, uh, mainly because COVID had just decimated uh, rosters around the league and people just needed live bodies, uh, he was back. Is almost this uh, ha- ha- will rebound for 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 a ten day contract uh, yeah. type player. Uh, starts the season really has this crazy roller coaster season. Uh, starts out in Minnesota, plays three games, and he he's he's gone. Then moves on to Washington. He plays in two games. Moves on. He's back in Milwaukee for five games, which which was the most games he played with anyone that season. Uh, they, they waive him as soon as they get healthy. And then he's in Utah. He plays three games there. And for the, and once Utah lets him go, he's back in Minnesota where he started the season for the season finale, because Minnesota sees that they are about to face the Memphis Grizzlies in the playoffs. One of the bigger teams in the league with Steven Adams and Jaron Jackson jr. And so they just wanted one more big man to go at their front line. And he he's on their playoff roster, but he doesn't really play or 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 perform in any of the games except for the final game of the season, which is game six. Comes in, scores four points, uh, but the Timberwolves are eliminated in that game, and that's essentially where Greg Monroe's uh, career stands right now. As I think he's what still only what thirty two, thirty one years old, thirty one years old. My goodness, it's it's insane. Um, he also played in the G League a little bit last year, and um, then he glued himself to the court uh, in Minnesota. No, I'm sorry, that was somebody else. Uh, it was that game, though. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I don't understand. Like, it, it's just weird. There's no team out there that could use a, a, a six foot ten uh, guy who can rebound and, sh- and score a little bit off the bench. Six foot eleven. Sorry who's only 31 years old. There's no team that could just use that guy at the end of their bench. This is uh, weird. It's like, he's being blackballed out of the league. It, it, there's no injury. There's no injury problem here. Like he's a completely healthy 31 year old basketball player. Why is he not on a team right now? It's so crazy. Or at least a G league team. Well, I, I, I could see the G league angle because he is getting on the older side and there's only so much upside with him. I, I I could almost say maybe developing a three pointer would help because there are plenty of big men in the NBA that can't defend in space, but they stay in the league because they can still hit an open three. But mainly, I I do think for and this is the one part where I agree that the game has kind of passed him by is just the the inability to to defend guards in space, and there are bigs that can't do that also, but they 
what they also what they do to make up for it is they defend the rim. They defend the rim, they're lob threats, they're they're enforcers. Greg Monroe is none of that. There's just not there's really hard it's really hard to put him on the floor defensively and exist without getting burned. And and that's as kind as I can put it. On the other end of the court, look, he's still, as you said, he's only 31. He hasn't, it's not like you, he's lost any skill. He can still be a very, very productive player. Uh, if you give him consistent touches on that low block, he, he's, he's still capable of burning uh, just about anyone in the league one-on-one. It, it's just a matter of how do you put him on the floor in the NBA in 2022 and have a consistent uh, defensive philosophy? Because even if you play zone, he doesn't defend the rim all that well. So it, it's just a conundrum to figure out how to get him on the floor. I don't I I mean maybe you put him out there in a Brian Cardinal type role like we need somebody to go out there and flop and get us to the line like yeah he he <laughs> he does take charges every now and then yeah I, I don't think he was great but I do recall him at least putting his body in front of the rim it's not that Greg Monroe doesn't try I don't want to ever give anyone no, that impression not a, no that's it, absolutely I, Greg Monroe his entire career always a very professional player showed up did his work uh punched the clock did his thing and went home, but it's just there's some he there he did not have does not really have enough clubs in his bag. I'll, I'll I'll put it that way. He just didn't have he wasn't dynamic enough offensively uh, as a stretch big to make teams want him, and he was just such a minus defensively that it seemed you could keep him on your team, but he just doesn't help you in the long run because you can't put him on the floor. So ultimately. Um, you know, as we do at the end of these things, what is Greg Monroe's legacy in the NBA? Well, I think we discussed uh, some of it already, just the fact that he was the, the very first uh, high lottery pick to to take that qualifying option, just how, how odd of a situation that was. And I, I don't want to say he's the last true low post uh big man because those guys still exist it's just they can they're they're not minuses defensively i think more than anything uh greg monroe kind of symbolizes the 2010s era of the pistons where it starts out with promise maybe not you know a ton of hype but he starts it starts out with promise looks like it's headed in the right direction and then there's just so many changes things go wrong Coaches get fired or they're replaced with somebody else that wanted to go in a new direction. And that was kind of the Detroit Pistons of the 2010s. They they just couldn't keep a consistent plan in place to build success. It was just this guy's vision didn't work. We're going to go with another guy and he wants to do the opposite of what the last guy did. So everything needs to get blown up and and started over. And that was kind of Greg Monroe's career in Detroit. Uh, He started out very well very promising and then the next guy in charge didn't like him as much as the last guy and you know slowly slowly set the groundwork to to push him out of town and then he found another spot which paid him the way he wanted to be paid but didn't like him nearly as much as his last stop and it was just a i want to say a descending uh it was it was just a descent into a promising career, just turning into uh, uh, ending very poorly. Yeah, yeah, it's sad uh, that it has to go that way. Um, so the other question we usually ask is, could could this guy play today? And we kind of answered that already. So and and considering that he he just did play in twenty twenty two, so I want to change it up a little bit for for these twenty tens guys. It, let's say Greg Monroe is the seventh pick in the 1993 draft. How many times is this guy an all-star? Because I, I, I think that he is one of the best power forwards in the league if he's drafted in the 90s. Am I wrong? I, I disagree entirely. Oh, wow. Okay. I, I think for, for, for the very reasons I just, uh, I just stated, look, Big men weren't expected to defend the perimeter in 1993, but that's not to say that they weren't expected to play defense. I, usually when I hear this comment about, and it is a very common uh, perception of Greg Monroe is he was drafted you know, 20 years too late. 
that if he played in the nineties, he would have been an all-star with, with all of his low post skill. And I, I do think there's some truth to the fact that he could maybe stay on the floor a little bit longer, but here's the problem. I can't find any uh, comparison uh, to Greg Monroe in the eighties or the nineties, big man wise, because those guys still were still expected to play defense. You were, you were expected to play defense in the eighties and the nineties. It's not like you, it was just a bunch of big slow guys that didn't move. And the big, the big slow guys were seven foot three with long arms and could block shots at the very least. I, I, in 1993, yeah, great. Maybe Greg Monroe was now defending Steph Curry at the three-point line on a switch, but he's he's defending somebody on a switch, or you put him in a pick and roll, and he, he's not quick-footed enough to stay in front of these really super athletic big men like David Robinson or or Alonzo Mourning or even Shaq. I, I I think he would be productive. I think maybe his career would last a little longer because you could get those quick spurts of offense from him. I, I just can't, I cannot look back into the eighties or nineties and see a guy that averages 18 points, 10 rebounds and can't defend a lick. That, that That's just something I, 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 and I tried, I, I spent hours today looking back, trying to think of a good uh, comparison to Greg Monroe and I, I honestly can't find one, which was shocking even to me for a guy that I termed at the beginning of this podcast, very classical, uh, low post big man. And he was, but all of those guys from yesteryear could play defense still. And I, I'm just not seeing it for Greg Monroe. He wasn't an enforcer, wasn't a shot blocker. And as we've stated a million times already, he wasn't switchable. So I don't think he could stay on the floor long enough in 1993 to be an all-star. What about what about Olden Paulinis? Is there is there some some comps there? Is there is there an Olden Paulinis comp? Uh, he was, I think Greg Monroe was way more skilled than Olden. Olden Paulinis was an enforcer rebounder type and, and a little right. bit of a finisher. Uh, Monroe did his work on his own. I mean, he could offensive rebound. He was pretty good at it, but for for the most part, his he was doing his thing on the low block. I like I would almost say Kevin Duckworth, but Kevin Duckworth had a mid range, but that that would almost be and Kevin Duckworth was an all-star but he was also he was also kind of an enforcer type with a mid-range shot he wasn't a shot blocker but he could still defend okay fair enough fair enough so Greg Monroe is kind of whoops Greg Monroe is kind of a, a a man with no with no island a man with with no uh country if you will um uh, he's it's almost like he's doomed to just be what he is. I wouldn't, again, and I don't want to call it doomed because this is still a man that at one point in his career got a three or $51 million contract. Sure. sure. As, as much as we've gone over the, the, the ultimate disappointment uh, that has followed him really since Stan Van Gunny was hired in Detroit. Uh, I, it's hard to feel bad about his career because his career is still more successful than 90% of other NBA players. It's just, I, I think our expectations of where he could have, he should be at this point. And I'm sure his own expectations of where he should be at this point are just so far short of what the reality is. All right. Um, well, that is Greg Monroe, and uh, that's gonna that's gonna do it for this week's episode. Next week, we've got uh, we are going into the 1990s with the 1990 NBA draft. I'm excited about this one. Uh, we're talking Gary Payton, we're talking uh, uh, Derek Coleman, Mahmoud Abdurraouf, uh, Kendall Gill, D three uh, or excuse me, three D Dennis Scott. Um, Tyrone Hill, there's a lot of guys. D Brown, Jason Williams, Tony Kukoc, Antonio Davis, Seth Sabalas. There's so many great players in this. Even Keith Askins. Is there maybe there's a a tiny little Keith Askins conversation there? He's not going to get drafted. But uh, yeah, there's a lot of Bo Kimball. Remember Bo Kimball? There's a lot of good things to talk about in the 1990 draft. I'm really looking forward to doing that one. And uh, as far as the next piston coming up, I I won't tell you who it is just yet. I will say he's a guy who likes to hand out love taps. So, I yeah, think that's, that's I think that's a pretty good uh, hint. Yep, I think that's a really great hint, and uh, hopefully you will 
you will get that one. And we may have a uh, special guest coming on very soon to talk about a Pistons player. So be on the lookout for that. And uh, before we get out of here, Keith, what do you got going on over on the, on the Twitter? Uh, my name is Keith Black Trudeau. I, I run a little Twitter account at, at charlatan28. Uh, it's dedicated very much to NBA history, which has always been a passion of mine. And I have a hobby of uh, cutting up historical videos over all the, uh, from all the old school footage I have. And uh, I, I, this, this week was a, a brief one, but I, I did a pretty good uh, breakdown of Greg Monroe's skill set at, at his peak as a Detroit Piston. And really, uh, if you want to talk about Greg Monroe from this or any of this uh, podcast or really anything related to NBA history, I'm, I'm usually active and uh, responsive. And uh, as, as for me, you can find me on Twitter at POD underscore Peyton. Lions season is underway. Hey, they got a win, Keith. They're one and one. How about it? Sweet, sweet 500. Uh, you can find all my Lions content there uh, on my Twitter and as well as uh, over at Pride of Detroit. You can check out everything that I do over there as well as all the rest of our very talented staff and uh, follow us all season. And we've got a ton of stuff for you there. And follow us, Keith and I, on Twitter at Bad Boys Beyond. Uh, we're having some conversations with people over there now, and it's 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 getting fun. I'm, I'm enjoying that uh, that that outlet or outlet there for to get away from football every now and again. I can I can go hide in the Bad Boys and Beyond Twitter and talk Pistons a little bit. Uh, if you guys again uh, have anybody that you you want us to cover, we do have our next three Pistons uh, picked already. Um, but beyond that, we're open to, to hearing who you guys want us to cover. And, uh, and, um, yeah, that's, that's what we got going on. Also rate review, subscribe, all that stuff, as I say every week. And until then we will see you next week when we go into the 1990 NBA draft.